Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. That was the most exuberant good morning back I've, I've gotten. That's good. Um, it's the fourth Sunday in Advent. We are so glad to be worshiping together as a church family. To those of you who are visiting, we welcome you. We're glad that you're here. We've been going through, uh, starting last year, we went through four names of God. This year we're doing four of them. Uh, the fourth name of God for us this year in 2020 is Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. Now, this is a popular word that we use at the time of Advent, and I think if we were honest with ourselves, we might say that if we're doing Christmas right, you have peace in your home, and things are comfortable and snuggly and warm and glistening. Um, but I think if we only look there for that version of peace, we're missing the point. And peace is a word that we use, we overuse in our English vernacular. It's a term that we use for a lot of things when maybe we shouldn't use that term. Kind of like the word love. We say like, oh, I love this or I love that. Like, I love tacos. I mean, maybe you really, really do like tacos, but you don't love tacos. There's a lot, there's a lot bound up in that word love that we should be careful when we use words to describe things. So I think the term peace in our normal common vernacular has lost some of its potency. So what I wanted to do first and foremost is to look at some of the misconceptions of peace or some, about, some of the things that peace is not. Before we look at what peace is and where peace comes from, let's look at what peace is not. Um, peace is a word that's often associated with war, like the war paradigm. And so in a situation where both sides have come to some sort of an agreement, there's a peace, uh, peace treaty or a ceasefire. But nine times out of ten, this is just, uh, it's not real peace, it's just kind of a temporary truce. Peace is not a temporary momentary solution. Another way that we use peace oftenly is to describe the environment that we are in. And those of us that uh, have children might have said before, all I need is some peace and quiet. But again, peace is not simply circumstantial. It is not achieved, like I said, when we have the tree lights on and the fires on and we're all comfortable and everybody's in their places and nobody's talking. That is not peace. And we will see when the name of Jehovah Shalom is used in the scriptures, we will use it seen in scenes that are full of hopelessness. Situations that are full of Hostility, not tranquility, not comfort. So then what is this word that we're talking about? Um, peace is completeness. The Hebrew word shalom means whole. To bring shalom to a situation means that we restore brokenness. But not just that, but we, we restore brokenness, but then we work together toward good. If my sons get into an argument and one says, I forgive you, and the other says, I forgive you, and they go their separate ways, but they're still angry at one another, there may have been restoration or there, there may have been reconciliation to some extent, but unless they gather and they work together for peace towards their relationships, towards good, 
the good of them and the good of our home and the good of our mission as the family, that's when peace, true peace, shalom, is achieved. Where there once was brokenness, there is now wholeness and a moving toward something new. So our God being called Jehovah Shalom shows the qualities of a God who actively enters our time and space to restore us, to heal our brokenness, and promises to abide with us and walk with us and give us his spirit. So if you don't hear anything else today, if, if, if you can only remember one sentence, that's okay. And that is, this morning, that is, shalom is about relationship. If you can remember that from today, and you can sift that through your brain and mull over it throughout the week, I think the Lord will be gracious and bring you to those places that we're going to talk about this morning. Shalom is about relationship. True peace, the kind that comes from God, is not situational or conditional. It's relational. Shalom, peace, is nothing that we can achieve on our own. Thus, the need for relationship with the one from whom peace comes. You follow me? We need relationship to achieve peace, so we need relationship with the one from whom peace comes, and that is Almighty God. So today's sermon, we're going to look at three different instances throughout, well, two instances in scripture and then kind of bring things down to uh, base level here in 2020. But we're going to look at different advents of God. This time is Advent. We are seeking the coming of God and we've seen God faithfully pursue his people throughout scripture. And so we're going to see Jehovah Shalom used first in Judges 6. We're going to look at the story of Gideon. So if you want to open up your Bibles to, get, uh, to Gideon, I always say that. Uh, uh, Judges 6. Judges is not just about Gideon, but he's my favorite character. Um, so Judges 6, we're going to talk about how God came in to Gideon's situation to Gideon's time and place and brings him peace and what that looks like. Then we're going to look at what uh, it means that Jesus came to us incarnate to bring us peace, to be the prince of peace, his advent to us. And then we're going to take a look at today and what it means that God brings us peace today in our circumstances. Okay, so if you're all with me, um, let's get ready to dive into the word, but let me pray for us first. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us soft, open, humble hearts to receive what it is you're teaching us. I pray that as we encounter your Holy Spirit through your scriptures, that we would leave here changed, that you would make an, imp an impression on us, that you would change our hearts, that you would, um, that you would turn our, our, our ways of wandering back to yours, and that we would worship you, and that we would experience true and lasting peace from your abiding Holy Spirit in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, come and teach us. In your name we pray, amen. So let's start um, Gideon, uh, Gideon's story here in Judges 6, verse 1. Here's what's going on in Israel. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep and no donkeys and no ox. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste the land they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out to help from the Lord. So this passage describes a situation where we would not equate with peace. But we would equate it with hostility and hopelessness. The Israelites had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They were actively sinning. They were running away from the Lord. There was brokenness. This nation that was called to be set apart for God was fleeing him and they were offering sacrifices to pagan idols, namely Baal. The Israelites were out of order. They were out of harmony. They were not working with God. They were working against God. They were not working for the designed and desired um, purpose that God had given to his people. Relationship was broken. Shalom was lost. But as we see in scripture, every time God has a plan. So let's read about that. This is verse 11 where God shows up to Gideon. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, Now if I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not part from here until do not depart from here until I have come to you and bring up my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Uh, by far one of my favorite passages in all of the scriptures. So Gideon is hiding. And it makes sense why. We would assume that he's hungry and he's threshing wheat so that he can grind 
the grain and he can make some flour. Not as easy as us today. We dip it out of the bag and it's good to go. This was a long process, okay? But um, through my study of this passage, a lot of, uh, a lot of um, commentaries and a lot of histor- historians will say that um, the, the purpose of hiding food from the Midianites wasn't just for daily sustenance. It was so that they could sacrifice to Baal, so that they could offer grain sacrifice to pagan gods. It kind of adds another layer to the story, and it did for me when I, uh, when I understood that. So Gideon very well is probably hungry and very well is probably making himself a loaf of bread to eat. But it's also pretty likely that this food could have or would have been given as a sacrifice to Baal. Whatever it was, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, who is in hiding. And he calls him a name that we don't expect. He calls him mighty. He calls him man of valor. He says, go in this might of yours. Not what we would call Gideon, right? We might call Gideon, we might just feel bad for Gideon. I know what happens when a few of my crops that I try to grow in my garden die, or my chickens eat them or something. It feels like you're so defeated, but Israel had been laid waste. It's easy to feel bad for Gideon. We might call Gideon a coward. We might call Gideon a sneak. We might call Gideon oppressed, but we sure probably don't call him mighty man of valor. But I think the most important Uh, verse in this whole entire uh, set of, of, of verses here is verse 12, when the angel of the Lord says, it's the first thing he says, the Lord is with you. After that, everything else makes sense. God was ready, whether Gideon was or not, God was ready to set things right and to restore relationship with his people to bring shalom back to Israel. We see God appearing and engaging with Gideon even when he is hiding. He confronts Gideon's hopelessness with his power and with his truth. You see, with the Spirit of God, with the Spirit of God, Gideon is a mighty warrior. With the Spirit of God, Gideon is a man of valor with the spirit of God, with the spirit of God only can Gideon go in this might that God gives him and save the people from this army that's completely decimated everything. Do you see Gideon's relationship with God is what will bring about peace. Relationship is what brings shalom. Now, Gideon has had quite an encounter with this angel of the Lord, and he's still in a state of disbelief, which it's hard to blame him. So let's read what happens next. This is verse 19. So Gideon went into his house, and he prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour, the meat he had put in the basket and the broth he had put in the pot, and he brought them to him under the terebinth, and he presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat, and the unleavened cakes, and put them on this rock, and pour the broth over them, and he did so. 
Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. The angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, shalom, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day, it still stands. What a cool story. I just think it's so cool. Um, Gideon has been encountered by God. And even though he doubts, even though he has questions, he worships. Even in his despair, in a situation that has not changed yet, Gideon worships. Does shalom occur after the bales have been torn down? No. Does shalom occur only when the battle is won and Midian is gone? No. Is it after all the fields are bountiful again? No. Shalom happens when God arrives on the scene and Gideon responds in worship. Peace comes when there is interaction, when there is communication, and when there is relationship with God. Now, I want to take a minute and look at this, this, this sacri- the, the sacrifice he made with the goat and the cakes and the, and the broth. And uh, I think it's such a beautiful picture because I think we could gloss over this part so quickly and to think he was just trying to figure out the situation and try to appease the angel or find out who the angel really was. But if you look at it in the grand meta narrative of this story, Israel as a whole is walking away from the Lord. Gideon is representative of the people of Israel. He's hiding in his cowardice. He's hiding underground. God comes to him, representative of the whole of Israel, comes to Gideon and said, in this might I'm going to send you. You are going to save my people. And Gideon, I know he's one person, but if we can see him as representative of the whole of Israel, he offers a sacrifice not to Baal. That's what was happening. The people were offering sacrifices to pagan gods, fake gods, images of stone and wood. And now Gideon offers this sacrifice, even though he's not sure what he's doing. He offers a sacrifice to the Lord God Almighty. This is an act of worship. So don't think that when you come into service, you need to have it all figured out or understand what it means to worship. When we point our direction at the Lord, even though it's sketchy sometimes, even though it's a little sloppy sometimes, God accepts our worship and engages with us. This is shalom. When we are right with God, Gideon has doubts. Gideon has questions. Gideon is still in despair over his situation. But with the Lord, 
with his presence and with Gideon's response, there is restoration of this broken relationship. There is shalom. What an amazing account of God's pursuit of us in our worst, seeking to repair what is broken and live alongside of us and work with us and go with us. And if you've spent any time with this book we call the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, the very words of God himself, if you spend any time there, you will see that it is about the continued faithfulness of God to pursue his people again and again and again. And we see this notably this time of Advent. We are celebrating a time where God comes on high to meet us where we are, to be our sacrifice, to bring us back to him, to repair our hearts and get us right, and to fix the relationship that sin caused the rift in between us and God. This is what we celebrate during Christmas time. And if we look at the situation where Jesus came into, we can see a situation that was kind of like Gideon's. It was hopeless. There was brokenness. There was political unrest. There were uprisings and rumors of revolution. There was religious oppression, political oppression. There was constant violence. And on top of that, the people of God had not heard from him in 400 years. There was silence. So Christ's advent, his coming, just like Gideon, came at a very tumultuous time, a hopeless time. But as we, as we um, see through the life of Jesus, and as we're studying through um, our gospel series of Matthew, we're seeing that Jesus came to bring the kingdom and, del- and to deliver us not from a worldly oppression, but the sin in our lives that keeps us from right relationship with the Lord. And throughout the scriptures, we hear of this bringer of peace, this bringer of restoration, this bringer of reconciliation, Jesus. We read in Isaiah 9, it says, um, Isaiah 9, um, he says, Jesus will be mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Luke 1, 77 through 79, we, we read Zechariah's prophecy of what this Messiah is going to be. He says uh, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace, shalom. The angels declared to the shepherds in Luke 2, 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God in Jesus visits us so that we can have relationship with him. Not that we have a ceasefire with God. Not that we have a release from a political party. Not because 
of any sort of mending of your bank accounts, but a mending of relationship where sin was once there, which provided a rift between us and God. Jesus comes to release us from that so that we can live our full um, God-given calling to worship God and to live for him in the kingdom. Jesus came and initiated reconciliation and restoration with you and I. Jesus came and brought us peace. He came to show us that what needed fixing was here, not out there. So that in whatever situation we find ourselves in, we can worship and we can be in peace with our Father who is in heaven. That is the best news that we could possibly celebrate. My hope is that the more that we understand who God is and the more that we see him revealed, that this time, even, our, even the songs that we sing, we'll understand them better. Daniel on Christmas Eve will preach about the different lyrics, the theological string that, we, that, that runs through our songs this time of year. Because so often we enter into those places and we, and we sing those songs, but we, we're, we don't grasp the weight of it. Just like we say, peace be to you, or peace man, or this is really peaceful, we lose the gravity of those words. This time of year we are celebrating a reconciliation where there was once brokenness. So we come now to 2020. Almost 2021. With Jesus' advent to you and I here and today. Now, many of us in this room, many of us know and trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And if you do, you, Jesus has brought Shalom to you, but there are times, aren't there, that we try to do it on our own. That we forget that peace is in God and we have to, we have to create and, and make some nice atmosphere in order to be peaceful. And this season will provide us all sorts of comforts, all sorts of distractions, all sorts of ways that will dull our sense of needing the presence of God and our need for more cookies, more movies, more presents. Cookies are okay, though. But really, this time of year is full of distractions. And let us not forget last week when we learned about the Israelites, they were groaning over not having good water to drink. They had forgotten that three days prior, God had opened the Red Sea for them. And they walked on dry land. How soon can you and I forget the presence of God is where we find our peace? And how soon we get distracted and look in a different direction for that. Now we all find ourselves in difficult places at times in our lives. And right now maybe you are in a situation where you're not sure what job to pursue next. Maybe you've been suffering with a chronic illness or chronic pain. Now like Gideon, we can ask questions we can struggle. We can cry. 
We can have a real relationship, even when we don't quite understand what is next. Because as if you keep reading the story of Gideon, it gets, it gets cooler. It gets more complex to see God um, pushing Gideon step by step by step by step forward. But that peace is there, and it's in that peace that we can march forward as well. So I'm going to have the band come up, and we're going to continue in worship. But I want to leave us with a, a question to just loft, and I hope that you ponder this throughout this week. And it's really simple. It's just, how is your peace this season? How you doing with that? Where are the ways that you've been seeking peace? So my prayer for you is that you would do some work there with your, in, in your heart with the Lord. And we're going to take communion. And the meaning of communion is that God comes to us to live in us, to forgive us and change us. And it's an act of worship to say, thank you. I accept. And some of us, I think all of us, need to be reminded where we find our peace and be reminded of what was done for you and I so that we could have peace. So we're going to take a song and we're going to worship and we're going to do this act of remembrance of, of the Lord and what he's done for us. And would you continue worshiping and would you continue seeing what God has done for you this season throughout Advent and beyond?